going to go to Luke chapter 5 this morning. So we've been working our way through the book of Luke uh, the last couple months, and we're up to chapter 5 now, which means we're starting a new series today in the book of Luke called Follow Me. And uh, this next couple chapters, that's going to be Jesus' focus, is calling disciples, calling the people to follow him in various ways. And we're going to see how we can do that together uh, as followers today as well. So Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 this morning is what we're going to cover as we dig in. So um, a few years back, Courtney and I had saved up our money, and we were going to take the girls on their first Disney World trip. And we were super excited about it, and, uh, but we wanted to keep it a secret, right? And so we, we didn't, tell her, didn't tell them anything. They didn't know anything that was going on. We packed everything in secret. We planned everything in secret. And we just showed up one Friday at school and pulled them out of school early. And we got them in the van, and they were kind of freaking out, like, what's going on? And we're like, all right, we're going on a family adventure. And we're not going to tell you where. We're just going to start driving, and we'll see how this ends up. And so we started heading south, and they're trying to guess, like, you know, where are we going? Like, are we going to Auntie Sarah's house? Are we going to the beach? Like, doing all these things. And, and they didn't know where we were headed, but they, they, we were enjoying the journey, right? We were enjoying the process of just traveling together. And then as we're heading down the highway, all of a sudden, this pops up over the horizon. The famous Walt Disney World, and they freak out, right? Like, they're just completely beside themselves, so excited to go. They had no idea where we were going, but once we got to the destination, they loved it, right? But the only way they got there was to trust us and go along for the ride, go along for the journey. The Christian journey, the, 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 the journey to follow Jesus is very similar. When it first starts, most of the time, we don't know where we're going, we don't understand how we're going to get there. We don't, like, it's, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But he is leading us, and if we will keep following, he will get us to a destination that we will absolutely love. But there's a process. There's a journey in it. And we're going to see the, the, the skeleton of that today in the story here with Peter, that Jesus leads me on a journey to follow him. Jesus leads me on a journey to follow him. And we're going to look at the steps in this journey and kind of assess maybe where are we at right now with that and how do we move forward, okay? So let's look at verse 1 together. On one occasion it says, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. So getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Point number one this morning, the first step, if you will, in following Jesus in the journey is to hear the gospel. It starts all the way back with just simply hearing the gospel, right? So interestingly here in verse one, he starts off, it says, on one occasion. And this phrase here is kind of a hint about the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, he, most of the time, he kind of, he follows it chronologically, but it seems to be like there's some points in the book of Luke where he actually kind of groups information together by theme, right? He'll kind of like do a flash forward or a flashback and kind of pull some information together out of chronological order to kind of make a theme or a point in certain parts of the book. Um, and it doesn't always line up with like Matthew and Mark's order for that reason. And so this could be one of those instances because of that phrase on one occasion. Um, I don't think it is, but I just want like that. You're going to see that throughout the book of Luke. And sometimes it might mean that things are a little bit different than the chronological order, but it's still something that Jesus did or something happened in his life and ministry. So 
Um, so here's what it says. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, Jesus to, onto Jesus to hear the word of God. So at this point, Jesus started to draw a crowd, right? He's been preaching. He's been teaching through Galilee. He's drawing a crowd even outside of the synagogue, right? Like, they're not at church on Sunday here to hear the preacher. They found him in the middle of the week next to the lake, and now they're like, hey, tell us some more, right? Like, they're, like, showing up at his house or whatever, like, hey, we want to learn more. And so he's drawing a crowd. They know this because it says he'd acquired a reputation as one who speaks the word of God. That's why they want to hear. Some translations could actually say there that it's a, that he speaks a word from God, right, which is a little bit different, right? They believe that what Jesus was teaching was a direct revelation from God himself, which hence why they were so eager to hear it. They believed that it carried the power and the authority of God's word. Also here, when it says the word of God, this is in the book of, or in Luke's writings, this is, can be synonymous with the gospel or the good news of salvation. That's what Jesus was teaching to them, essentially, right? In Acts, another book that Luke wrote, in, verse, in chapter 8, verses 12 and 14, he uses these two terms interchangeably, the word of God or the word from God and the gospel or the good news. And so here, Jesus is already teaching, from the earliest days of his ministry, he's already teaching them the good news of Messiah coming to die for them and to save them from their sins, if they would have faith and belief. Now, he doesn't give them all the details yet, right? He's, he, they don't know what we know today, but he's already starting to embed their need for salvation through him in the gospel teaching. And it's the same gospel that we still follow today, right? That we all still need today because we're sinners too, just like them. We're rebellious against God. We disobey his word. We violate his holiness. And because of that, we deserve his wrath. And yet, out of his love and grace, he sent Jesus, his own son, to come to earth, be born as a man, live a perfect and sinless life, and then willingly go to the cross and sacrifice his life for our sins. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew from this point where this was headed that he was going to lay down his life to take the death that we deserved. And he died in our place, and he laid in the tomb, and three days later he rose back to life, proving that he was God and offering us forgiveness and salvation if we will turn from our sins and put our faith and trust in him. So Jesus is teaching them this divine revelation, the gospel, their need for faith in him. But there's such a big crowd, they're pressing in on him. And so it says he gets into Simon's boat, right? And he asks Simon to push the boat out so get a little bit away from the shoreline. Not really to escape the crowd, but so he could better, like, position himself to be able to teach everyone without, like, having this mosh pit on Jesus, right? And so he kind of pushes away in the boat. And in doing so, though, he also creates a new captive audience with Simon and the other fishermen, right? Because now they're in the boat with him, and they have to listen to what he's going to say as well. And so it says he sat down and he taught the people, and by proximity he's going to teach Simon, we'll see here as well. But interestingly enough, this is probably not the first time that the people or Simon have actually heard this message. Right? 
First of all, it says he was drawing a crowd. So they were coming to him for a reason. Because they had heard some things already that they wanted to hear more of. We know just in the previous couple chapters here in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 and 44, it says that Jesus had already been preaching throughout the region of Galilee in all these synagogues. So he's already been doing this, and people have probably heard him in those various locations. In Luke 4.38, it tells us that Simon, the same guy here, Simon Peter, he lived in Capernaum. And that not only had he heard Jesus in the synagogue, that Jesus came and visited his house, right? So he's heard some stuff from Jesus already. And if we go over to John chapter 1, verses 41 and 42, it tells us the story of how it was actually Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, who first heard about Jesus being the Messiah through John the Baptist, and he went and told Peter, said, hey, you got to come hear this guy. Right? So he probably heard Jesus from the earliest days when, when his brother Andrew first brought him and to hear Jesus' teaching at the beginning. So it's quite probable that this event right here that we're about to read about, prior to this, Peter has already heard the gospel multiple times. Now, this isn't a first-time thing for him. This is just the next step, if you will, in Peter's spiritual journey to follow Jesus and to hear the gospel again. This last week I was uh, studying and I was doing some research and I came across this survey. And it said that 41% of people would rather go swimming with sharks than get a root canal. This is like a legit dental survey on dental phobia. 41% want to swim with sharks then get somebody to, like, drill around in their mouth. And this was all based in this idea that, you know, like, there's this fear around dentistry, right? Like, there's, the survey also found that 60% of people have a fear of going to the dentist at all, okay? I don't know what your relationship is like with your dentist, right? Like, maybe you've got some of that fear going on in your house. Um, I, I, I never really understood that. I never had that because I think my mom, um, she took us to the dentist every six months, from as early as I can remember, right? Like, that was just part of our routine, and so I would get x-rays and checkups and cleanings and fluoride and all of that stuff. I was, like, brainwashed. You brush your teeth twice a day for two minutes, right? Like, every day, this was the thing, right? And so we, we did this thing, and so I, I just, it's always been part of our habit, and I carry that habit into adulthood, right? Brushing teeth, keeping care of them. But even then, doing all of that, I would still end up with a cavity, like, every three to five years, and it would drive me nuts. So I finally, like, I had it out one day with the dentist. I was like, listen, I do all the things. I come in, you clean them, you know, I, I do the fluoride stuff, I do the, I brush, I do all the, like, why am I still getting cavities? This is ridiculous. And he looks at me and he says, because you don't floss. And I was like, hmm. Now, I know that was not the first time I had heard that. I'm pretty sure he's told me that every six months when I went in there for a treatment. Like, you need to floss. But for whatever reason, it had not clicked. It had not registered until that moment that that was the reason I was still having dental issues. And sure enough, I started flossing every day and haven't had a cavity since. This message is brought to you by the Dental Association of America. (laughs) Just joking. That's not it at all. It has nothing to do with teeth this morning. But here's my point. I had heard that message over and over and over again, but I didn't actually hear it until then. So something inside me was like, this has got to change. 
that's usually the way the gospel works. Most of us will hear the gospel multiple times in our life until one day something inside of us is like something's got to change. And then all of a sudden it clicks. And it's like I'm hearing it for the first time. Some of you have had that experience. You know exactly what I'm talking about. This should be reassuring to us in a lot of ways, right? That for that person that you're still praying for, that you've been trying to share the gospel with, that you've been talking to about Jesus for years now, like there's still a day where one day we're praying and we're hoping it's going to click. Because sometimes it's a journey. It takes some steps. It takes a while before it hits. And that's what we're seeing here with Peter as well. Before I can follow Jesus, I have to get to know Jesus and his gospel. This is the first step in the journey. First, I have to get to know Jesus, and I have to hear the gospel for what it truly is. Let's keep going with the story, though. Look at verse 4. It says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they had enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Number two, step number two is to believe the gospel. First, I have to hear it. It has to register, it has to click, and then I have to choose to believe it. Here, Jesus says to, to Peter and the, and the fishermen, hey, put Go out into the deep, into the deep waters, and let down your nets. He's like, all right, good talk. That was great. Now let's go fishing, right? Which normally would have been great for these guys because they were fishermen. But the problem was they had just finished fishing. Remember earlier in the story when Luke was like, hey, the boats were docked and they were cleaning their nets? That's because they'd already been out all night the night before fishing. And now this carpenter turned teacher is going to try to tell career fishermen how to fish. And they're like, really? That's what, that's what we're doing? But actually, Peter handles it pretty well, right? He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now, again, for context here, Master in the Greek there, that is a, a title of respect. So he was, he was being very respectful to Jesus here, right? He's like, I, I get it. I, I know you have authority. You are a wise teacher of God. That is obvious to all of us. Like, I don't question that at all. I do kind of question your competency as a fisherman. <laughs> but the teacher thing, I got that. Okay, so master. He says, we toiled all night. We've been out here grinding all night, and we got nothing. Do you think, don't you think, that if there were fish to catch in this lake, that we, the professional fishermen, would have caught them last night. So Peter already sees two strikes against Jesus' proposal. Right? I'm tired. I've been up all night. I've been doing this. Secondly, now it's daytime, which in that region, in that, that was the worst time to fish. Night was the good time. Day was the not the good time, right? So like, he's like, why, why would we do that? And then he says this, but at your word, 
I will let down the nets. So he was, he was skeptical, but respectful. He's like, I, 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 okay, I'll do it, but just so you know, this ain't going to work. Right? You know, we've all had that experience, right? Where, like, you do something just to prove the other person's wrong and you're right. Like, all right, fine, I'll do it, but just so you know. Right? Like, like you can go check. Again, I checked it already three times. It's not there. But, hey, if you don't believe me, check for yourself. I'm sure it'll magically appear whenever you go look. Right? Like, yeah, go for it. Like, just go ahead and prove me right. That's what Peter's doing. He's like, go ahead. Try. So they go out. They throw the nets down. It says they enclosed a large number of fish. Well, would you look at that? Tons of fish. So many fish, the, the nets are breaking. They have to bring a second boat. They fill up both boats with, with, uh, full of fish. They start sinking. This was unbelievable. This was an unexplainable catch of fish. Peter's been doing this his whole life. His dad did it. His granddad did it. Like He knows what it looks like. He knows how to fish the Sea of Galilee. And this is not how it works. The only explanation to Peter was that this was a miracle. A truly miraculous catch of fish. And this miracle once again proved Jesus' authority. It proved his power. Peter's already seen him cast out a demon. right? He's already seen him heal his mother-in-law. He's already seen him heal all these other people. And yet he didn't believe on any of that. But now this one's different, isn't it? You know why it's different? Because this one happened to Peter. This one's personal. It's not just Jesus doing something in somebody else's life. This is Jesus doing something in his life. Right? Like he's shown up and showed the power directly to him. And so now he truly believes. Now he believes Jesus really is the Messiah. This is the power in the presence of God. And in that moment, Peter came to believe in Jesus' teaching, but because he first believed in Jesus' power. The other day, um, we were driving down the road, and we had a, a part of our girls' basketball team in the van with us, and we were talking about college, and some of them were getting ready for that and stuff, and they were asking me about my college experience and my degrees and the so I was kind of telling them my academic journey, and it was quite long and winding as we started to talk through it. And I realized as I was doing that, that there were a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that I learned in those early days of high school and college that I know it still to this day. But I don't believe it. I don't, I don't agree with it anymore. I learned it, I know it, but I don't believe it. And the same is true with a lot of people when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the gospel. They've heard it. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe they had a grandma who told it to them. Maybe they have some friends. that come. They've heard it. Most people in America, they've heard and they know about Jesus. Sometimes even in church, in this church, some of you might know about who Jesus is. But you still don't believe it. Not really. Maybe you've heard it said before that some people will miss heaven by 18 inches. 
That's the distance from our head to our heart. There are a lot of people who know about Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus. They haven't put their trust in him. They don't know him personally in their heart and soul. But friends, I'm just telling you this morning, knowledge is not enough to follow Jesus. Simply knowing will not get you there. Like Peter, we have to go from knowing who Jesus is to believing in who Jesus is. That's the next step. To follow Jesus' belief must move from my head to my heart. Belief must move from my head to my heart. I can't just know about Jesus. I have to know and trust Jesus. So we hear the gospel first. Then eventually, after we've heard it probably multiple times, we believe the gospel. And then the next part, look at verse 8. So, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Number three, third step is live for the gospel. Following Jesus is a lifestyle thing. It's every day living for the gospel. And we see it here kind of in five pieces with, with, with Peter. Look what it says. It says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down. Now, again, think about this from his perspective. This was the biggest catch of his life, of his career, Right? This is more fish than he had ever seen. And he didn't care a thing about the fish. In that moment, he immediately falls down at Jesus' feet, right in the middle of the boat, in front of all the other guys, around all the flopping fish. He's on his knees in front of Jesus. Because he knows. Now he knows. He is in the presence and the power of God. And when you find yourself face-to-face with the presence of God, friends, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. You become overwhelmed with the realization that he is God and I am not, and that brings me to a place of utter humility before the Lord. And so this is the first step in living for the gospel is we have to humble yourself. You have to see God for who he is, and you have to choose to humble yourself before him. Peter falls down, and look what he says to Jesus next. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's like, I'm nothing. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Please forgive me. He, he is immediately confessing his sin before the holy God. And it doesn't seem in this moment that he's necessarily confessing, like, one specific sin. It's kind of more just his general, like, 
my whole heart, my whole life is sinful and unworthy of who you are. He's, he's seeing this not as an isolated issue, but as a full heart life issue, like everything about me needs to be saved by you. Perhaps he's zeroing in on his lack of faith up to this point, right? Again, he's been with Jesus a lot already. He's heard the message a lot, and it took him this long to finally, like, get it. He's like, Jesus, please forgive me. I'm not worthy like this. I should have had faith earlier. This is a very similar response that we see in other scripture. Anytime someone encounters the presence and the power of God, I think about Isaiah when he received the, the vision of the Lord in the throne room, right? Remember what he says? Isaiah 6, 5 says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst the people of an unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's confessing sin. He's humbling himself before the Lord. This is the response of a heart of repentance before God. Confessing and turning away from sin and toward Jesus. You see, when we are confronted with the power and the presence of God and we see our sin clearly, we always are going to have one of two responses. We're either going to repent of our sin and turn towards Jesus like Peter, or we're going to see our sin and see Jesus and be like, nope, I'm still going this way. And we're going to turn and we're going to run away from Jesus as far as we can because we want to stay in our sin. Once you get confronted with it, once you see it, those are your only two options. Peter here, he chooses to repent. He could have done something different, right? He could have responded with doubt, like, man, this was a crazy catch of fish, but it must just be a coincidence. I don't know who this guy is. He's not even a fisherman, right? He could have thought that it was just him and chalked it up coincidence. He could, he could have responded in greed. This is a lot of money sitting in his boats. This is a ton of fish. Right, I'm going to sell all this, and we're going to be sitting pretty for a while. He could have responded with pride. Like, I now have the all-time record for fish caught on the Sea of Galilee. That's me, master fisherman. He could have responded in all kinds of sinful ways to what had just happened here, but he chose to reject his sinful ways and to repent and turn to Jesus. He even says here, he calls Jesus Lord. Did you catch that? He says, oh, Lord. He doesn't say master this time. Master was respectful, but Lord is different. And he, he doesn't actually understand here fully who Jesus is yet. He doesn't get the whole Jesus is God at this point. That's going to kind of come later. But he does get that Jesus is the Messiah. That this is the one who has come to save us, and he humbly confesses him as Lord, the Holy One of God. So the second step in living for the gospel is confess and repent of sin. And friends, let me just tell you, this isn't just a one-time thing. This is something we do as believers, as following Jesus, we do this every day. Confess and repent of our sin. And then Jesus responds, and it says, he said to Simon, do not be afraid. Because he was. Simon was afraid. When you realize you are in the presence of the Almighty God, and you are still walking in sinful rebellion to him, 
you should be afraid. And Peter's like, what, 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 gee, what's Jesus going to do? Is he going to strike me down? Is he going to cast me out? Is he going to, like, reject me? Like, what's he going to do? He's scared. So Jesus reassures him, hey, you have no reason to fear. I didn't come to punish you. I came to save you. That's why Jesus came, right? He said, I came to seek and save the lost. And in this moment of desperate confession, Jesus extends grace to Peter. Furthermore, he says, from now on, you will be catching men. This is crazy, right? Not only am I going to save you from your sin, I'm going to put you on my team. I'm going to use sinners just like you to bring other sinners just like you to me and my saving grace. How lavish is the grace of God that not only does he save us, but he uses us for his glory. That we get to be part of the mission of God. That is grace upon grace. So that's the third step. is to receive the grace of God in our lives. Both his grace through salvation and his grace through the fact that he works in us and through us to bring more and more people to Jesus. Because grace is what really changes our hearts. Not just our behaviors. See, religion, religion is about guilt and shame and duty and discipline. And all those things can change our behaviors for a little while. But eventually they wear out. And we go right back to our sinful ways. Only grace can change our hearts permanently. Only grace can free us from the desire of sin so that we can freely and joyfully worship and serve the Lord. We have to receive grace for the gospel to work. Again, he says to Peter, now you will be catching men. And that's not just a cute play on words by Jesus to hook the fishermen. No, no, he's, he's not just trying to get their attention or pump them up here. Like, he's serious. He's calling them to a completely new life. A new career, a new direction, a new purpose. Everything's going to change. They're, they're gonna, Peter's going to have to give up his security, his family business and traditions that have been around for generations. He's going to have to give up personal desires. He's going to have to step outside of his comfort zone. Jesus calling him to a completely new way of living. And this is so striking. It's almost like Luke says it in such a simple way that it, we can almost like glance over it. And it says, as soon as they got back to shore, as soon as the boats landed on the shore, they left everything. Literally. Literally everything. Their boats, their nets, their business, the biggest catch of their careers, they just left it on the shore. All that bank, they just walked away. Said, we're done with that. We're following Jesus. Jesus. 
That's the fourth step to living for the gospel. Surrender everything. We have to surrender everything. If we're going to follow Jesus. This is the point. This is the, the step that usually makes or breaks most Christians. Most so-called believers. Like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good with the, like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and I love Jesus, and he's going to save me from my sins. Oh, yeah, I'll take that for sure. Oh, I have to sacrifice something for him? That's what worship looks like? That's what following Jesus is? I have to surrender everything? That's a lot tougher. Am I willing to give up my claim to everything in my life for Jesus? He gets all of it. He gets to call the shots on everything, on my marriage, on my kids, on my career, on my money, on my health, on my everything. Am I willing to surrender everything to follow Jesus? They did. It says they left everything. And look at the very last two words. It says they followed him. Wherever he went, whenever he went there, didn't matter. They just followed Jesus. Over in the other Gospels, in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, in Matthew 4, 18 through 22, it tells us that Jesus actually, in this scenario, it actually Jesus tells them, hey, follow me. Those are his words. Follow me. And it says the exact same thing. Immediately. Immediately. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 100%. All in. Turned away from everything else to follow Jesus. Friends, that is the true measure of a life of repentance. A life of repentance isn't just turning away from my sin. It's turning away from everything that this world has to offer so I can follow Jesus. Giving up all of it. Final step in living for the gospel is follow Jesus. Every minute, every day, no matter what, no matter where, no matter the cost, will I follow Following Jesus requires humble, total, immediate surrender. There's a big difference between following Jesus and some of the other things that we call Christianity. Following Jesus is not simply acknowledging Jesus. Like, yeah, I believe he was real, I believe he was a man, but, you know, that doesn't really apply to me. Like, I'm good with my life. Uh, a simple, appeasing, cerebral, religious affirmation is not enough. That's not following Jesus to simply say, yes, he existed. It's also not tagging Jesus into my Instagram-focused life, right, where it's all about me, and I'm simply just attaching Jesus to my plans and my thoughts and my desires, doing this kind of feel-good, whitewash, 
of what I want my life to look like. Jesus didn't sign up for that. It's not following Jesus. It's not simply visiting Jesus as a last resort. If I only run to Jesus when my world is falling apart and I need a fix, and then he fixes it and I run right back to my old life, that's not following Jesus. Following Jesus means that he calls me to humble, total, immediate surrender. Everything. He gets all of it. Because Jesus leads me on a journey to follow him. That's his whole goal. That's his whole purpose. That's what he's doing. And so I just want to close today with this. Where are you at on this journey right now? We're all somewhere along that spectrum. We're all somewhere on this journey with Jesus. The fact that you're even sitting here this morning listening to this message tells me you're already somewhere on the journey with Jesus. But where? Are you still in the hearing phase? Are you still hearing the gospel and assessing, do I believe this? Do I, is this right? Is this true? If that's you, man, this is a perfect place for you to be. Because every Sunday when you come here, you're going to hear the gospel again. And God's going to use that in your heart, in your life, and he's going to bring you to a place where you can believe. Maybe you're in the believing phase. We're like, yep, I believe that, I got it, I'm on, I've heard it now, I'm in. Again, this is a great place for you to be. Because once you believe, then you can start growing in Christ. You can start growing as you follow him. But I bet most of you here this morning, most of you are in that living stage that we just talked about at the end. You've already believed a while ago. And now you're trying to look at, like, what does it mean to really surrender to this? To really give him everything. Total surrender. Have you done that? Have you laid down everything in your life? Every plan, every hope, every dream, every point of control, every relationship, Have you said, it's all yours? I surrender all of it because I'm following Jesus, whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. That's what we're going for, friends. That's what Jesus calls us to do when he tells us, follow me. Total surrender. Stand with me, let's pray.